Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see you today. I hope you're enjoying your summer. Well, obviously, you're probably thinking uh, there's two of you up here. And uh, so let me introduce myself. My name is Tony. I'm pastor here. Uh, so if you're new, we say welcome to you. And I have my dad on stage. And, <laughs> and this is not typical. We don't, he's preached here before a few times, but uh, we've never done this together. I think we're taking our cue uh, from Sherwood and, and Joel Lingenfelter. They did this together a few years ago. And uh, my father and I have never done this together. No, we haven't. So uh, this is maybe a first. Last. It may be the last. <laughs> uh, the Lingenfelter set a high standard, so we've got we to meet that. But uh, now, this is just to give you context. Uh, if you haven't been here this summer, we're in the midst of a series out of the book of Proverbs. And each message is being spoken by, by someone who says that particular proverb has meant something to me. And so there's been, uh, there's eight Sundays we're doing Proverbs. I'm, I've been teaching four of them. Um, so I've already given three Proverbs that I regularly go to out of this book. And uh, we're gonna be going to a fourth today. And so I'm gonna have you actually go to in your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter three. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers would be glad to provide you one. Uh, just put your hand up and they, they will uh, gladly hand you one. And you can keep this Bible, by the way, if you wish, uh, or you can just leave it on your seat and we'll get it later. Um, but it can be yours as a gift from us. We also utilize the Version Bible app. And if you go in there into the events tab, uh, you'll find LEFC and just tap on that and you'll get our outline and several of the uh, scriptures we'll be using today. Having said that, let me go back to last week because it really bridges well to this week. And so that last week we were in Proverbs 19.21, which says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Let me say it again. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. What we discussed last week is that there are three things you can basically draw from out of that text. And that, the first one being that God is in control. He is sovereign. There is nothing that happens on the face of this earth that he isn't superseding and over. And, we, and, it, and that's part of the challenge because we do see a lot of uh, evil and suffering in the world. And, and that is also evident in scripture. But you can also see how that evil and suffering as it's being played out by Satan always plays into God's plan. And then God brings about a, a miracle of change of lives and, and, and glory back to him. It's part of the beauty of scripture and what we know about God. So God is sovereign and in control and his ways are certain. That's another thing that's so encouraging about a verse like Proverbs 19, 21 is that it's certain that we can create plans and there's many plans we create, but there is rarely a plan that you can say is absolutely certain. Uh, there's usually some degree uh, of, of certainty, yes, but it's, it's rarely ever said absolutely certain. But with God, his plans, always, always, absolutely certain. And the other thing that we, we drew from last week is that when his plans play out and with certainty, that it's always better than the plans we come up with. 
Uh, and so one of the things I, I said last week was that, that when we pray to God about specific things and we're even praying for certain outcomes, which is nothing wrong about praying that way. We're called to bring all of our desires to him. So that's asked for by God. But then when we pray to God, praying for those outcomes, do we want God to check at the door his ability to know the future, his ability to know the, the fruit or the byproducts of your plan versus his plan, and then which do you want him then to affirm? Do you want him to utilize the full graces of his ability, or do you want him to limit himself and just operate in response to your prayer request according to your limited outcome request? Of course, we want God to utilize his incredible foreknowledge and his power to the fullest of its ability, but the hard part is then is then being okay with it, like letting God do that. And so therein is the challenge, and that's where it brings us into this week, another proverb uh, that speaks to trusting him. Now, why is this particular proverb meaningful to me? I mean, it's, it's probably the most commonly quoted and memorized proverb in all of that book. But for me, and the reason why it stood out to me, is that in my 18 years of living under my parents' household, in those 18 years, we lived in nine houses that I was able to count. So averaging about two years per house, some houses we were in for four, which I think was the max, and some houses just months. Uh, and so, but in nine houses, every house that I can remember had Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, either on a picture frame, a shelf, or on a bookshelf. In some way, it was always put in our house to be seen. Now we know from the Deuteronomy chapter six, the Shema, it's a, it was a Hebrew charge that God gave to the nation of Israel before they left the wilderness and went into the promised land. They've been wandering for 40 years under the, the discipline of God, a lot of lessons learned, and God was concerned that the generation that had learned the lessons in the wilderness would not teach the next generation those same lessons. And then we would be dealing with a repeat issue. So God gave some instruction on how to raise children. He said, okay, I want you to teach what you know about me, that I am one and that I want a relationship with them. Teach them by talking about those truths when they go to bed, when they raise up in the morning, when they eat at the table, when they travel along the road, and the last one is, and mark your house with these truths. So my parents had marked their home with Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, uh, and, and so therefore, it was impressed upon me, uh, and, and, the, and I can't escape it. Even if I was to run from God, I cannot escape what I was taught because it would be with me. And so at this point, we're gonna read Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six again. Dad, why don't you read it? All right, this service. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Okay. Now I'll get to this word submit because my guess is every one of you are like, what? 
because it's acknowledge. In most of our translations, it's acknowledge. And in the NIV 84, which a lot of us grew up with, it was acknowledge. But somehow in NIV 2011, it's submit. I'll get there. But let's break it down real quick about the terms that are in this verse. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it's all about trust. So last week, we talked about that God is sovereign God's ways are certain, and his ways are always going to prove something that is better. But you might know that to be true, but you may not have experienced the reality of those truths unless you have entrusted yourself to him. You see, you have to walk in trust in order to see the reality of God's ways being certain and better, and that he's in control. So let's define trust, so if it's so, such an important term. So you trust when you place your confidence, your belief in, or ultimately rely on someone else for direction, help, or protection. So you're trusting in someone or something when you put your confidence in, your belief in, or ultimately rely on something or someone for direction, help, or protection. So, in order for us to know the reality of God being in control, being his ways being certain and his ways being better, we have to put our confidence in, we have to believe in that, and not only believe in it, ultimately, we have to choose to rely on it. You have to let go and let your weight fall on the reality of who God is in order for you to have his direction, his help, and his protection. It says that there's kind of this contrarian approach to this or the barrier to experiencing trust is yourself because the reality is is that we tend to lean on our own understanding. That's why it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It might be helpful to you to understand the meaning of the word lean on. If you were to go into the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew lexicon and look at the word trust that you see here, you're gonna notice that the secondary meaning to it is to lean on. And when you go to the Hebrew term that lean on is right here, its secondary meaning is to trust. So you could interpret this or translate this verse, verse five, in this way. Lean on the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You could also translate it, trust in the Lord with all your heart and trust not yourself. Either way, you get to the same thing. And the Hebrew terms here are different, but they are related and they have the same secondary meanings to each other. So what Solomon is saying is, listen, in order to trust God, to experience the realities of who God is, you have to let go of trusting you. You have to let go of trusting you. You have to learn to not put your weight and trust into what you know and put your weight and your trust into what God knows. And that's not always easy. Because the reality is, is each of us has the person you trust most on this earth for controlling you is you. 
It's just the way we're wired. We, we trust ourselves because we can control ourselves to a degree. And, but we can't control much of what's going on around us, although we try. I mean, after all, some of us are controllers by nature. My wife and I, this shows up when she's not holding the wheel of the car and she's in that passenger seat. We struggle with trust issues in that moment. My life group admitted that they don't trust my driving and that really hurt this past week when I found that out. So it's not just that my wife not trusting me, it's now my life group that doesn't trust me in my driving. And my mom, my lovely mom, who is in this service, I believe, somewhere. Where are you sitting, mom? Over there. Uh, over here, right up front. Well, a couple years ago, uh, it, I, it was a summertime, and I got one of those summer colds. I am 50 years old, and my mom, what does she tell me? Make sure to take your vitamin C and also put your sunscreen on. I'm 50 years old. As if I haven't figured that out yet, I looked at my dad as like, is mom ever gonna stop mothering me? And your answer was? It's true. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta uh, get used oh, to it. You just gotta get used to it, and I'm 50 years old, and I am not <laughs> used to it yet, right? And so, you know, there's just this aspect that when you are the parent, it's hard, it's hard to let go of control of your kids. As if we convinced ourselves we were ever in control at any time. Right? I mean, my son is getting married soon and, and there's that tendency to wanna make sure that, oh, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that, which is probably why he doesn't come home till later at night when we're in bed. So he doesn't have to deal with that. But you know, this, the control thing is just, it's a natural aspect of us that we just trust ourselves. I grew up being taught how to water ski, snow ski, and did those things you know, pretty consistently until I moved away from the rural parts of Kansas. And then you, you know, like 20 years go by and all of a sudden I come to Lidditz and I get to do water skiing for the first time in a long time, except for the boats I go on with people here, they don't have water skis, they have wakeboards. And so I was told that, you know what, if you uh, just, if you know how to water ski, this will come really easy for you. So I, I got out in the water, I put that board on, and I'm thinking, okay, I remember, you know, when I'm in the water, it's like, you gotta keep your tips up, and you're, you, you know, and you gotta really push your heels down, and it will just cause you to come back up on top as a skier. There's a lot more effort with water skiing. That's not the case with wakeboarding. In fact, with wakeboarding, you just trust the board. Let the board come up and you'll do way better. So I think I got this because I'd done a lot of water skiing in my past. They, they hammered it down and the boat takes off and I'm like chugging and fighting it and, and then I you know, face plant into the water. This happens three and four times. My son and his friends are now mocking me in the boat. And the most humiliating thing happens in that, in that time. The person who owns the boat, along with another friend of mine, gets in the water with me to help me. I felt like I had floaties on. <laughs> Paul Zimmerman, many of you know Paul, gets out in the water and he goes, I can help you do this. And I felt so humiliated. I gotta have somebody in the water with me 
to help me get up on this wakeboard. And I'm looking at, my, at the, the guys in the boat. They're laughing and, and mocking me and so on. And, and uh, Paul's whispering in my ear. He's like, you know, you, you were a water skier. So you were, you know, you were doing what water skiers do. But wakeboard, you just got to trust the boat and trust the board. You just gotta let it happen. And he gave me a couple other tips. And then I got right out of the water. I mean, it, it happened so easy. And you know, Paul's giving his Paul shout and, and cheering me on. But now I'm like, I've gotta get into that boat eventually and I'm gonna be hearing it from them for the rest of the day. You know, that I needed help uh, to get up. But I had to learn to trust. My understanding was limited to something that was completely different. But in this realm, I, though similar, was different. And because I wouldn't trust it, I wasn't having success. It's a very simple and fun thing to bring up, but that just shows the humanity. That when we have done something before or we think we've done something similar, we tend to trust ourselves because of our experiences rather than trusting in God, especially when our understanding really is limited in some of these big decisions and some of these big things in life. And that's why he says, Lean on the Lord. Lean, put your weight on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust yourself. Don't lean on yourself because your understanding is limited. Honestly, trust then cannot be realized until you've entrusted yourself to the capability of someone or something else. You just, it's not gonna happen. So you will not know what it means to truly trust God until you've let go and you've entrusted yourself to him. After all, that is faith. You see, we can know, and, and the majority of America actually believes there's a God. But the majority of America is not living in faith in that God. Would you agree? It's true. So what's going on? The while they might know here, that there is a God, and they might even think that God is a good God and a powerful God, but they don't know that God because they've never lived out the reality of that God by entrusting themselves to that God. And so faith, with the definition of it from Hebrews 11.1 1 says, being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, which communicates, listen, you can't see God so therefore, your understanding is already gonna be limited. But you're going to hope in it, and you're gonna be certain of it, and therefore, you have faith in it. That is where faith really is birthed. So that's why when it says here, lean not then in your own understanding, because that will be what keeps you from experiencing faith in God. So let's continue on into verse six. Verse six, where it says, so then all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So let's look at that word submit for a moment. In the Hebrew, it literally means acknowledge, which is why if you were to take the top 10 selling translations of the Bible, the NIV is the only one in this, at this point in time that uses the word submit versus the word acknowledge. So the question becomes, why did the NIV do that? Because there's usually a reason that they, because it used to, NIV 84 used to have the word acknowledge. So what's happened? Well, like anything else, good translative work is making sure that people understand it as the original 
hearers would receive it. And today, the word acknowledge is a little bit softer in its meaning than it used to be. So acknowledging today might look like somebody hitting a home run and then they just point up. Or somebody hitting that home run and they point at the bench as they run by. It's a quick, just acknowledge thing. Yeah, yep, you're a part of this. Or yep, I did this. And, and it's gotten really shallow in its meaning. The Hebrew here is actually extremely layered and rich, which is the difference between Hebrew and Greek. Greek, which we have from the, the New Testament, and we have the Greek translations of the old, but Hebrew is the original language. Greek is very precise. It's very, uh, uh, what I would say, almost Germanic in that it's, it's precise and blunt. <laughs> Hebrew, poetic, and layered. A lot of layers to it when you, when you read it. So the word that is here, when it says, in all your ways, what is, it, what is the actual Hebrew word? It's yada. It's yada. You guys might know it as yada. So when somebody's talking and, and they're gonna like not finish it, they might go yada, yada, yada. What they're saying is, I know, I know, I know. Or you know, you know, you know. That's what yada means, but it's actually pronounced yada. So in the Hebrew, though, the layers to yada is pretty significant. Because yes, yada means to know, but it's to know, to know intimately. Like to know in such a way that you've been with someone long enough to know that you can finish their sentences. That you can know what they're thinking even though they haven't said it yet. To know what they want before they say that they want it. And to know what they're going to do before they do it. So obviously, this is a tight knowledge of someone that you begin to do it right there with them. In fact, when talking about what a marriage should look like, a healthy marriage, in scripture, in Hebrew scripture, when talking about marriage, as it should be, it uses the term yada. This is how we're to be, that we know each other as husband and wife, that we know each other so well that we can finish each other's sentences. We know what the other's thinking. We know what they're going to do before they do it. And we are doing it in cohesion together. So, with now the layered understanding of yada, let's read it again. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him so well that you know what he's gonna do before he does it. You're gonna know what he's gonna say before he says it, and you're right there with him going as he would do it. And when you do that, he says, your paths will be made straight. So when you're walking with God so intimately that you've immersed yourself in understanding his heart, his behaviors, the way he thinks, the way he speaks, and the way he does, then going his way is not a mystery. You walk with him and you know where he is going. You discern it well. So then... When you do that, when there is something in front of you like a barrier, because when it talks about, and he will make your path straight, the actual Hebrew translation there is he will remove obstacles. 
He will remove obstacles. So if we are yada with him, we know him that well, that as we're walking with him and there's seemingly an obstacle that's gonna keep us from going the way he's going, we just know that, well, this is how God's told me to go. So I'm gonna assume that he's gonna figure out a way to get rid of the obstacle. Now, is this consistent with what we know from scripture? So when we rely upon God, we walk with him intimately in the paths that seem impossible, somehow kind of fruition, and he removes these obstacles. Is this the pattern of scripture? Is this the pattern of God that we read? Let me give you an example. How about in the book of Exodus, when the nation of Israel is finally getting its opportunity to leave Egypt, God tells them very specifically, do not go the northern route, go south. And that would have been strange guidance because the fastest way to the promised land is through the north. It also means you wouldn't have to deal with a big body of water to cross. And, you know, it's like time is everything, right? You know, you're gonna be sojourners. So it made sense to go north, but God said go south. So, and they knew this because Moses and God were, were walking together. There was yada happening. And so Moses knew, I gotta, we, we gotta go to the south. And I'm sure everybody else is like, does he know where he's going? To the south, we're gonna run into the sea. So they're going, and it's thousands of people. And they come up to the Red Sea, and they've got this big obstacle. Then they discover they got a, another issue with the armies of Egypt coming from behind. So now what do you do? All right, so God told Moses to go this way. We're here, big obstacle. God tells Moses, all right, I want you to raise that staff. And then we know the story. God split the sea. And he split that sea and they walked through. And then as soon as they finished walking through, Egypt tried to follow him behind and the waters came in on him. But we see how it's like, listen, they were exactly where God wanted them to be. And as they walked there, they come into an obstacle and God removed it because they were where he wanted them to be. It's also true that once they got through that time in the wilderness, 40 years, they're finally allowed to go into Israel uh, to the promised land. And God said, okay, I want you to go in from this side and I want you to, to take out every nation that's in your way except for I want you to avoid the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Munites. All right, so avoid them because God had made a deal with them I don't know, several uh, decades uh, before that. And so God is now honoring his part of the deal, but they were supposed to be honoring of Israel. So they went by the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Munites, did not attack them, go into the promised land, and were having immediate victory. Well, Israel had passed them by, but the, Mo the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Munites were beginning to feel threatened. So what did they do? They created an alliance. They decided to go after Israel. So they're coming in from behind. Israel's seen this before, except for it was Egypt 40 years before. Now they've got this, this gathering of a huge army coming after them. And they are vulnerable. They are vulnerable. They went to the Lord and the Lord said, I want you to turn around 
and to go right at them. That's your path. Turn around and go right at them. <laughs> I love the response of Israel. It's like, okay. So Joshua's now in charge. Joshua's like, okay, we're gonna turn around and go right at them. And we're gonna die. <laughs> because this army is so much larger than us, there is no way we're gonna live. So what we're gonna do, this is what God's asked us to do, but we need to fast and pray. So they began fasting and praying, and then song began to be sung in the camp, and it created this time of worship, and it caused all the nervous energy to dissipate. And it was so powerful that Joshua said, you know what, let's have the choir go first when we go after the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Munites, because they were over the other mountain ridge, and so let's have the choir go first. What they did not know is that as the camp of Israel had been worshiping, it created such a spirit of fear in the Moabite, Ammonite, and Munite uh, camp that they began to attack each other and they annihilated themselves. And so as the choir goes over that ridge and they come into the valley, they discovered the battle was already won. The obstacle was already cleared because they were walking exactly where God had wanted them to walk. And this isn't just an Old Testament, uh, ancient part of God's character. Let's bring it to the New Testament. Calvary is the same story. Think about this. God said, I demand of every human being perfection and holiness with no exceptions. I demand to be in my presence, holiness and perfection, no exceptions. And when there is sin, I demand full payment, a lasting payment. On both cases, mankind cannot fulfill it. None of us have lived even a perfectly holy day, let alone life. So here it is. God is demanding something we could not possibly do, but yet this is the path he wants. He wants us on a path of holiness. And on top of that, he wants us on a path where our sins have been paid for. Both are obstacles that cannot be accomplished by us, but yet the path that God wants us on. So what did he do? He provided Jesus. Where all of our sins were paid for in one single moment. And because of his blood covering us, we are seen as white as snow by God himself. Perfectly holy. And then we get to go on a journey, as it says in Peter, to become holy like he is holy. And God knows that on our own, that's not something we can accomplish. So the blood covers us, but then he gives us the Holy Spirit to begin to work that out in our lives and transform us each and every day. So God, when we yada him, when we know him, we know what he's thinking, we know what he's doing, we know what he's going to say because we're walking so intimately with him. So we're on the journey where he wants us to be when obstacles come. God's history is always consistent that if he wants you to be there, he will remove whatever stands in the way. That's God's history. And therefore we get the opportunity to go forward in that. 
That's what Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says. But I'm going to allow my father then to share why this verse was so significant in our household that they made sure it was in every house we lived in and that us kids knew it. So dad, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. Thank you, son. It's, uh, it's honored to do this with you. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take you back to a devotion I was having one morning. Getting up early as a young man in his early 20s, already having uh, a son and a daughter. As I was having this intimate moment with God, I'm reading in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this incredible uh, picture and view of God. And in that moment, he hears God saying, whom uh, shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's comment was, I will go, send me. And I remembered the intimacy of the moment and, and just seeming like that was God speaking to me. That I remember on my knees lifting it up to the Lord and just saying, God, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I did not realize that at that moment, that prayer time, that the trajectory of our lives as a family would forever change. It was hard for me at that moment to understand all the things that were going to transpire because I didn't understand the decisions that may be asked of me. I didn't understand some of the direction of where God would take us. I didn't understand that, um, that God would always be there. All I knew is I had a willing heart willing to go wherever God would send me, would send us as a family. But going when he said go meant that there would be times that God would ask us to go when it didn't make sense. You know, you'd like to be able to explain everything. I mean, GPS, you just follow whatever it says and supposedly it's supposed to get you where you need to go. Not always, by the way. Um, but there are things that we want to have make sense in our lives and, and you just can't always explain it with, with your own sense of reasoning. And then there are times when people are just going to say things to you that it doesn't make sense or they will say to you, you're crazy for doing what you're doing. Or you might even have people who will um, criticize you for the kind of ministry that you have. Having two young men, uh, two young pastors speaking into my life was so huge because they helped me to navigate through some of the other pastors who would criticize me for the kind of ministry we had among young people. Even had one pastor who spoke up to me and he said, you know, if you just come to my church, uh, you'll be wiser. And, um, and then I had parents coming to me criticizing for the work I was doing with them and their children. I even had one parents say to me, you know, uh, Randy, I, I am so embarrassed. I wish my son would get into drugs rather than this Jesus that you're talking about. And these things just kept hammering at us. And, um, but then, you know, we would hear, I, I'd see how God was working in the midst of all of that. And so these are the voices that are coming at me. And then raising support would raise another voice that, you know, having to trust, you know, God for our finances. And 
I remember the difficulties of that. And there were times when we would spend time in prayer um, at the at the meal time, and I would just simply say to the kids, um, "Listen, we don't have any more money. I don't know where the food is going to come for uh, come from for tomorrow, but let's pray and we'll trust God." And it would just it just never seemed to fail. Either a box of food would show up at the door, or a check would be in the mail for exactly what we needed. It just again and again and again and again. Story after story, God would show himself to be true and real. But I thought of those decisions back then to where I am today, and I read this quote, and I thought it's so powerful. You may want to write this down and keep it in mind that the decisions that you and I make today will determine the stories you tell tomorrow. The decisions that we make today will determine the stories you tell tomorrow. The stories I'm telling today are a result of decisions we made clear back in the 70s. And it's still coming out in different ways. So one, I want to quickly just give you some three challenges that I've noticed in my own life that keeps me from following this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 because we, I, one morning as I'm reading this uh, passage and I see Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I told Leanne after spending time in prayer over it and I just said, here is going to be our life verse. We're going to live our lives on this passage. And that's why, as Tony said, it was always in our house. But there were cha- always challenges to living that out because I didn't want it just to be a verse I memorized. I didn't want it to be just something I knew a little bit about it. I wanted to live it. I wanted it to become a part of who I am, who my wife is, who my son is, and who my daughter is, that we would live this truth out in our lives. So these three challenges are this. The one, the desire for self-independence and living my way. I think you and I struggle daily with our own self-dependence. We want to just live it our way. We don't ever consider God's work and activity in our life because we're so busy living life according to the to Randy Hunt or whoever you are, that you insert that in. That's how you're living life. Not really living to be trusting in God and leaning uh, not on your own understanding, but acknowledging him, realizing he's got a plan for you. I think the second challenge that I notice is that when the voice of reason is louder than the voice of God, you may have heard something recently that um, just rocked your world. And so your mind started to plan or started to think. And you thought, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Or things are getting so bad. And you just get fixated on what seems to be real right before you. And uh, as a result of leaning on this, your own sense of understanding of it, you miss God at work. I remember uh, reading at some point, this is years ago, that if you can explain what's going on in your life, it's probably not God. <laughs> and you know, wow. that is so true. Because so much of what goes on in our lives are just left up to us. And, and we, we are living through this sense of reasoning and uh, rather than just trusting God to do what only God can do. 
And then I think the third thing is when the voice of others is valued more than, than God's word. I am so grateful for those young pastors who spoke into my life at that, that early stage of, my, of the ministry life that we had. And just realizing that I needed to have somebody who was connecting with God and, and, and helping me as a young man to understand the ways of God. And uh, because these other voices uh, were important. I mean, sometimes, you know, even in family, uh, family who can't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And um, wondering, uh, are you sure this is what God wants you to do? Have you ever heard somebody tell you that? Are you sure God wants you to do, do this? And uh, again and again, I wrestle with it. Sometimes I really respect these voices that are speaking to me, but is it God's voice? Am I so dependent and so concerned about everybody else's opinion, or am I really leaning that the one voice that needs to speak louder than any other voice is God's voice? I think a good point with what you're saying there, Dad, is that um, a good way to filter whether these voices are from God or not is by God's word. And where you get into problem is when you start raising the value of the voice over God's word. And sometimes God uses those voices, which is important, and those pastors were doing that. But you could go back to God's word to discern. It's like, oh, those, they're giving me the wisdom of God. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. So I thought, okay, there are these challenges. But what are ways that I could begin to nurture and feed this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 into my life. And I think that the very first thing is this, is you can only trust someone to the degree you know them. If you don't know somebody very well, it's going to be extremely hard for you to trust them because you don't know, are they tricking you? Have they, have they got, they want to see you fail or, or some other sense of reasoning. So if I want to, follow God, if I want to trust him with all of my heart, I've got to make sure that there is an intimacy that I am growing with him. Because so many of us are building a relationship with God. Because I I, I saw this at the very beginning, the tendency to want to build my relationship with God on morsels that fall from the table. Rather than feeding and growing in an understanding of God. Because I realized today that what I knew about God then, what I know about God today is so far gone. So far removed from when I first started. And we just need to make sure that we are really building a relationship with God, with Jesus in his word, asking God, speak to me. I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I think another thing that came to mind was learning how to put God's desires at the center of our decision making. You see, many of our decisions, we never consider what God's perspective is. We just are making decisions based on our own understanding. So the way you've got to change and build Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 into your life is that you need to stop 
before every major decision is making. Lay it down. Maybe write it on a piece of paper and say, God, this is a decision that it needs, I need to make. What do you want to, me to do? That's learning how to bring God into your decision-making time. When it comes to finding the right mate, when it comes to school, when it comes to occupation, when it comes to where you live, instead of just making what looks nice to you, stop and ask God, is this who you want? Is this what you want for me? That's learning how to live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in your life. And finally, is learning to embrace a trust that God's promises are always true. Did you hear that? I want you to hear me. God's promises are always true. Always true. Always true. Always true. You can bank on it that his promises are always true. He is concerned about us and the direction that our our lives are headed. Nothing we face in this life is beyond what God can do. Nothing. And um, I have always looked at God is writing his story in my life. He's writing a story in your life. I like what Paul Tripp said. Thankfully, I'm not the author of my own personal story. My story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. Every turn he writes into your story is right. Every twist of that plot is for the best. Every new character or unexpected event is a tool of his grace. Every new chapter advocates or advances his purpose. God's writing his story in your life. And remember the decisions you make today will be the stories that you'll be telling in the future. So when you think about this story that God is writing, the last chapter that has been written is like right now. But, it, 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 but that book marker keeps moving because another chapter comes in. The book keeps getting bigger because next year there's another chapter. And the next year after that, there's another chapter until finally one day God closes it. Last year was probably the hardest, one of the hardest times of my life. Going through that accident and uh, finding out that I had a broken neck And uh, I find myself lying in the hospital bed and wondering, God, I want to be able to cling to this fact that I can trust in you with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding because right now I feel pretty bad. But if I would just in all ways acknowledge you, you'll direct my paths. And God, he's not done finishing writing this story. It's something that came to mind. You know, it's easier to adjust because we've all learned throughout our spiritual journeys the dependence on God coming through. But God continues to teach this man to trust him, to allow him to to teach me patience, 
to teach me how to wait on him through the unknown. And when I think about what happened last year, it was easier to go through because of what I went through all those years. God had been conditioning me and training me. And that's what we've got to learn. God's not done with your story. And he's wanting you to learn to be patient and dependent upon him because he's the one who's writing your story. He's the author and finisher of your faith. God is faithful and he will guide you to the end. We just need to keep trusting him. It's a story, our story. It hasn't been easy, but I give God glory. When I received that phone call, I was having lunch with someone. Got that number, shows up on my phone. Don't recognize it. So I rejected it. It calls right back, and it's like, well, that's strange. So I picked up, and it's Trauma Center in Ohio. And the woman said, "Uh, your parents have been in a car accident. You need to come now. And that's the only information I got, plus what trauma center it was. Within a half hour, I'm on the road to Ohio. I have five hours to consider what this journey might look like. I don't know how it's going to get. Don't know its outcomes. But I remember somewhere on the turnpike saying to God, it's like, God, I don't know what the outcome of this story might be. But I thank you that my parents lived out Jesus' name to their end. And I was at peace with that. Thankfully, 30 minutes before I arrived to that trauma center, I got a phone call from my mom saying that they're going to make it but it's gonna be a journey. And that's where you just say, okay, Lord, apparently there's more chapters to be written. We still don't know what outcomes of physical capacities that my father would have, uh, how my mom's injuries would heal. Um, But I'm grateful to this day that I could stand here Because I believe this is where faith begins. And this verse that my parents instilled in my sister and I is important for all of us. We can know who God is and for all the things that he, the evidence is pointing us to. But until you entrust yourself, you'll never know the realities of what that's like. So we're all on a journey We're all making decisions, and some of them are probably quite big right now. 
And many of us can't even make decisions because things are happening that are out of our control. And you're having to, even in your prayer life, entrust to God something that seems pretty dark, whatever it might be. Maybe it's on behalf of somebody else. Maybe it is your own life. But this is where faith truly gets birthed. We trust in God. And we walk according to that trust, not by our own limited understanding. Let's pray. So God, I am grateful for the difficult journeys for what they bring in each of our lives. Usually out of the ashes, some kind of beauty comes. But sometimes those stories have pretty difficult endings and yet we have to trust that somehow by your grace, there's something good that will come out of it. For Joseph, it took years to know what that good was, why things kept getting worse and worse. For others, even you say in the, in the hall of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11, that many of them hope for what was yet to come even after their lifetimes. There's so much that happens on this earth, we don't understand why, but we can trust who? We can trust you. So God, would you use this moment, the conclusion of the service, to bring about some peace, some resolve, and some courage to let go and to trust you. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we want these next few songs to be an opportunity where we can submit our need for Christ, submit before the Lord and trust in him. So let's stand together. Let's pray this.
these two weeks from our Proverbs. We can know who God is and for all the great things about his character and his capacity. But until we entrust ourselves, we will never know the joy there is in walking with him. Yada, that's what he wants to have with you, to know intimately. If you'd like to pray with someone or talk to someone after the service today, we'll have people in the encounter room, which is to my left, your right, that would be glad to talk with you. I'm gonna have my dad close the service with prayer. And before he prays, I would just like to ask, how many of you, just by a lifted hand, would say, I've got some things right now I, I'm trying to trust God in and I'm having a hard time not leaning on my own understanding and I just need to acknowledge before God that that's a journey I'm on right now and need prayer. Okay, yeah. A lot of people here. Father God, our hands are lifted up to you.
you realize the journey that we're on and sometimes it just doesn't make sense. We'd like to be able to understand it. And the hands that have been lifted up were because of, they're in those moments. It's a defining moment. It's a moment that will determine what direction we go. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom. Help them to have the strength to trust you, to realize your promises are true. And that you are growing us. You want us to know you. And so, Lord, may this week become a a week, a redemptive week, a restoring week, a refreshing week, because we learn to lean on you. And I thank you, God, for the stories that are going to be spoken, whose hands have been lifted up here, because they learned to walk in the way of God. Thank you, Lord, for what's going to take place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.